This episode of the High Impact Man podcast, our guest is Eugene Fridkin. He's known as Redcoat in the gloom among his F3 brothers. He comes from the Princeton region. He's here to tell his story where, as he grew up in Belarus under the former Soviet Union and his ability to get out of there and come to America in 1994 into Manhattan working there and eventually making his way to Princeton. He's also uh, interested and intrigued by colonial American history and he takes part in reenactments serving as a private in the Continental Army in the Princeton Battle of Princeton reenactments. Dial up and I know him pretty well from being part of our Blue Ridge Relay team the last three years. So we get to dig into uh, F3 Redcoat's life and uh, his interest in this stuff, but also his crossfitting. He does F3 and CrossFit all week long. And so we talk about the differences between those two, F3 and CrossFit. But this is really a high-impact man who's brought his family over to America, and he's living the dream. Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. Now, what you're hearing from the culture is not right. Pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. And here we go with another episode of the High Impact Man podcast. It's a little bit sad in the uh, the Nan Cave tonight. Yeah. Because we are recording this on October 19th. Yeah. And last week's episode, you would have heard the excitement. Yeah. I heard the excitement because we recorded last week's episode the same night we're recording this one. And the Phillies were playing game three in the National League Championship Series against the Diamondbacks. And between recordings caught the very last batter it was the diamondbacks scored a run in the bottom night to beat the phillies game three game three no so. good stinking diamondbacks so we're still up two one still up two to one guaranteed to get it back to citizen bank park uh yes because they go two three two right so they better win one of them at least hope so they better yeah but uh, how do they how do they score a bunch of runs against their ace uh, 10 runs against their second best starter and the third starter they score one run how does that happen you're gonna start conspiracy theories here they're not in their stadium anymore. The fix may be in. It's all oh, about the money. Pulling an Astros. <laughs> maybe, maybe, baby. No. You never know. No, 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 no. That's just, you know, guys go cold or certain certain pitchers just don't match up as well Yeah, for them. I don't know. And, Who knows? Uh, we didn't get to watch the game, but, uh, but they only scored one run the whole game. Yeah. Bummer, dude. Uh, so... As uh, those of you who listen to us know, my name is Nevin Gorky. I'm known as DFib to the guys in F3. I'm joined by Troy Klinger, dial up in the F3 land. And one of the things happening this weekend, we're uh, running. We got two teams from our pa- packs at F3, F3 Susquehanna Valley running in the Tussie Mountain 50 miler. Yeah. We got team, the Effers, not the six, captained by the one and only dial up. And team, the Effers, lucky seven. Captain by the slow, second slowest guy on the team, <laughs> which is me. So uh, they got six guys. We got seven guys to run this 50-mile relay. And uh, they're starting a half an hour after us and trying to catch us. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be... Uh, There's been some trash talk. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, what'd you ask me? Like, what's your, what's our, have you seen the start times yet? And I said, yeah, they're, they're yeah, having, they're having you start Saturday morning. So you're done by Sunday at dark. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it should be, it should be fun. Like if we look, we use that, we have our little race predictor time, you know, or like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a finish of each leg predictor time that, that Lowe's, uh, shared with us for when we do the BRR, you know, it, it, it has us finishing really close, like, within like two three that's with you estimating our times that's with yeah well that's well that's me estimating a bunch of people's times yeah uh, but and a lot uh, of them you know because of strava good. and all yeah, that stuff yeah, yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty good at estimating i'm gonna be faster than whatever you estimated well, that's fine i'm feeling yeah. i'm I think, feeling I think it. porky's is gonna be a little faster yeah. uh i'm not sure whether uh well I, I won't say anything we'll just leave it go all right but we'll see what happens we will see the math looks like you we should catch him maybe with the uh, two or three miles to go oh boy but we'll see We'll see yep, what happens we'll see. on race day. When either way, we're going to party at the end. That's right. We're having fun. We're having yeah. a good time. We're spreading the vibe. Yeah. We had a lot of compliments last year that we just brought out good energy and a good vibe. Yeah. Uh, an F3 vibe, an F3 energy, which, right. you know, it's 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 different. It's unique, and we brought that to the event, and we're doubling the pleasure this year with two teams. Doubling the pleasure. We were rooting for every runner as yeah. we passed them in the van and cheering them on, and yeah. people got to know us eventually as we're driving around the course, right. and yeah, pretty Come, cool. Yeah. But, there, but there's some group that named themselves F5. Yeah. The fingers of God. Fingers of God. It's like, what's that? Like, I don't know. Three Fs aren't good enough for you? Right? <laughs> they're, they're just trying to one-up us. I was like, wow, those F3 guys were really cool last year. And, like, everybody was digging them. I bet we're, you they only have five guys on their team. We're going to we're gonna be F5 instead. Yeah. Because that's F5. better than F3. Whatever. <laughs> so Whatever. We'll they're going down. Speaking of endurance relays, our guest today yeah. is Eugene Fridkin. He is known as Redcoat from f3 princeton and he has run on our team in the blue ridge relay for three years in a row yeah and that's how we got to know redcoat and we heard a little bit about his story and we thought we're bringing this guy on to tell his story because it's it's a pretty cool story and i think he's going to be able to inspire some guys and uh and just uh you know get to tell the story for posterity so redcoat welcome to the podcast thank you thank you good to see you guys yeah good to see you and and I guess wait technically is this this is your second time being on the podcast? Were you right. on when we he was did part the, of the BRR podcast? Were you on when oh, we did the debrief yeah. right after last year's race? That's right. Ah, so, so that's the third right. time. Huh? I, well, I guess, we, we yeah. recorded live this year, and he was on it. Oh, that's true. Yes, he was on it for that. So he's like he might be the first three timer. Yeah, but this, he's solo, yeah. solo in the hot seat tonight. That's right. <laughs> awesome to have you, brother. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. Initially, initially, it's an awesome yeah. podcast. I love, I love you guys. Yeah, we love you too, brother. Uh, and uh, so, we usually start out with saying, "Hey, how did you get involved with F three? When did you get involved with F three? Who eh'd you?" And we already know, so we don't have to guess. But tell us how you got your name. Sure, sure. So I started F three in uh, summer twenty nineteen. So it's been, I guess, well, like, well, it summer twenty nineteen. So it's four years, I guess. Uh, almost. So um, I joined the three. I found the three uh, after Facebook post. At that time, we just started our AO. Uh, maybe it was like two, three months old, and it was Dosekis, Wally, uh, maybe a couple more other guys, uh, Scar U. I don't remember who else. And uh, when I showed up, I was kind of like four seasons was there as well. And when I showed up, I kind of loved the workout. I loved the atmosphere, even though it was very cozy, kind of small circle. And, uh, you know, when it was time to name me, I was kind of, I got in the middle of the circle and, uh, obviously I had to tell about my hobbies, what I do, what I like, etc. And I, <laughs> I spilled my beans. I said, guys, I'm a reenactor. Mm-hmm. And of course the next question was like, okay, like, what are you, what historical period are you doing? And, uh, well, natural answer is the American Revolutionary War. Uh, 
guess what? They didn't name me George Washington or, you know, something like that. So right. the name I got is uh, Redcoat because, again, I'm a member of 6th Pennsylvania Regiment, which is uh, impersonating uh, one of the colonial units of the time. And uh, Redcoat is exactly opposite. So right. We have Lowe's <laughs> and Home Depot. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how my name came about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so prior to coming to F3, had you, had you been working out, uh, on your own or doing some other type of fitness type stuff or? Yes. Yes. I'm i I'm also like a big uh, CrossFit fan and, um, actually I do work out in CrossFit gym. I'm one of those weirdos who actually goes to F3 first and then goes to gym afterwards. And, um, Actually, I, I started CrossFit in 2018, in summer 2018. So I was into my CrossFit journey, uh, like almost a year when I joined F3. And right now I'm in Cross, in like box, box is like the name of CrossFit gym. Right. And again, there's a, its own lingo. CrossFit crew has its own lingo as, as similar, very similar to F3. And I'm there about six times a week, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I was kind of, I was I, I didn't have any problem with the physical uh you know exercise and level of uh stress let's say physical stress during the three workouts but uh, I love the general kind of feeling of like bodyness closeness fellowship mm -hmm. etc you know so that was the main attraction really yeah and that's I was going to ask you that question yeah. because CrossFit is sort of a community as well so how do they compare? You get the CrossFit community and you get this F three fellowship how do they how do those two sort of communities compare? Tons of parallels, tons. Like, you know, in CrossFit, again, there's its own lingo. Just like we have F3 lingo, there's CrossFit lingo. Uh, same way, like, let's say if you travel anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, to that matter, you can go to, you can find CrossFit gym, you walk in, mm -hmm. you feel like right at home. You know exactly what people do. Right. You know, like, names of all the exercises, the workouts, uh, you know, what to expect. Just like if you would travel, you'd be downrange somewhere, and you go meet the F3 guys, and again, you know exactly what to expect. Right. Uh, it's also has the faith component. I wouldn't call it like a faith component, but like there's a certain kind of idea or ideology be behind, uh, uh, CrossFit people do uh, hero workouts. Like let's say we do Murph. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what all the CrossFit boxes do on, uh, Memorial day. Right. There's a whole bunch of other, uh, a uh, whole bunch of other hero workouts that, um, again, we do as CrossFit box. Um, a lot of, a lot of parallels. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, so um, you know what the big difference is between F3 and CrossFit? F3 is free. That's right. <laughs> yeah. F3 is free, baby. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. men yeah. only. <laughs> well, yeah, and men only too, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And well, held outdoors. Well, I mean, <laughs> and held outdoors. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. And ends in a circle I, of trust. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Pure led, pure led. Important part. Yep. No, no coaches, right? No, no coaches. coaches. You gotta, you gotta prepare. Right. But uh, it's fun. It's like two sides of the same fun to me. Like I don't really distinguish. I, I can't, I can't really like take away CrossFit or take away a three from myself. Like both are equally important to me. Yeah, yeah I think that's great. Um, I, I, I thought it, I multiple times. I think three different times I went to CrossFit gym for a free, you know, free workout to see, and I really liked it, but I just couldn't get myself to spend the money. Because we're talking about in little Danville, Pennsylvania, you're talking about like $130 a month or yeah. something like that. And I just, and I had a gym at home. We're in my gym right now. I'm like, I just, I just couldn't get myself to to spend the darn money. 
Um, but uh, but I do appreciate what the, what the CrossFit, because you and I were talking at the end of the Blue Ridge Relay when we were in the house the night before. Yes. I think we're the only two guys that watch the CrossFit games. Absolutely. I was very surprised, actually, in fact, that you did watch the CrossFit games. <laughs> and to me, this is like, to me, this is a big part of the, you know, fun during the year. Like everything kind of culminates, culminates right. at the games. And uh, I had guys from a gym going there to uh, medicine, like a couple of years. I've been trying to join them right. both years. I, it didn't work out, but I'm still hoping to make to to the games one day and then just be there, like experience all the fun up close, meet all the athletes. Because mm-hmm. as, as opposed to like any other commercialized sport, CrossFit athletes are extremely approachable. Right. They you can like literally talk and talk to like Matt Fraser, Rich Ronin, like all the biggest stars. Right. You know, and you feel like they are buddies. Yeah. You know, they're not like some kind of high flying guys. You know, you cannot approach. Right. And those those superstars like Froning and and Fraser, they don't compete anymore, but they're coaches, so they're still there. They still hang out. Right. And uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And it's 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 extreme. And you know what? Another thing is that because CrossFit covers everything, they have like uh, I think they call it adaptive division. They have teenagers mm-hmm. and they have masters, and masters go all the way up to I think seventy five. The age categories, right? So I'm big fan of like Dave Hippensteel. I understand everybody knows Rich Ryan and Fraser, but like Dave Hippensteel, they say they call him like fittest dentist in the world. Right. The dude you have to see like he's maybe sixty five, sixty four. You have to see like how he climbs. Uh, he how he do uh, he does rope climbing. Right. Or how he cleans the barbell. It's insane. And the guy is sixty five years old. Yeah. Now, do you get worried about all the Olympic lifts about injury? Have you had injuries? I did have injury. Yes. Uh, so about three years ago, it wasn't during the lift. I don't remember exactly how I got it, but like I had a pinched nerve in my left elbow. Yeah. And it was super painful for a couple of months. I was like literally, you know, I couldn't really, like I had no strength. Like my arm was incapacitating in, in many ways. And um, yeah, I mean, that can happen. But as you learn, especially it's a function of your age, right? Yeah. Depending on your age, you may be like trying stupid stuff. Right. And as you get wiser a little bit, then you think about like not maybe hitting that PR every time, but how do you make back to the class tomorrow? Right. Yeah, right. Have to be in that gym tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and, well, he's a PAX member, although he hasn't shown up for over, over a year or more. But 3PAC had the same issue with his pinched nerve. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's a, it's the ulnar nerve that gets pinched. And it comes from lifting, you know, heavy weights and stuff like that. He actually had to have a surgery That's done right. where they have to move the nerve. Did you have the operation done? No, I didn't. Okay. Actually, they said, like, your case is, like, very light just go away so i i ended up just going to my acupuncturist using uh, my chiropractor actually acupuncturist really you know really really helped me and uh it took maybe i don't know six months seven months i still feel like sometimes pin, pins and needles yeah. in my left uh palm it yeah. doesn't really bother me that much i can you know i recovered my strength i recovered my grip again pinch nerves are like extremely difficult i'm surprised like how come in the modern medicine they still don't have the good way to treat these I'm, I'm, I can't imagine like the people treating, I don't know, doing like heart, re- uh, the, you know, getting heart re- implants or whatever, not implants, sorry, uh, re- replanting the heart, I guess. I don't know. Oh, transplant. So, transplant yeah. Transplanting, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. <laughs> and, and the, yeah, replanting. Well, and they still cannot fix the pinch nerve, you know? Yeah. I, I, well, it's, you know, it's just a mechanical problem and sometimes it requires a mechanical fix. 
you know, much like my ruptured disc in my back, you know, it requires a mechanical fix. You got to have an operation to fix it. So I don't know, maybe they'll come up with something down the lo- down the line to help with some of these things. But the bottom line is um, rent comes due eventually when you're lifting heavy weights, you know, Absolutely. that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very aware, believe me. I you know, I had another injury actually earlier this year. I had uh, much lighter. It was like lower back issue, yeah, but right. uh it was around CrossFit open. Uh but it took me maybe six weeks or so to get back and now I'm super careful of using my belt whenever yeah. I do anything with the barbell. Yeah. So yeah. And and I forget red code, how old are you? <laughs> I just turned fifty three. Fifty three. Fifty three, yeah. just a youngster. And and so you're doing CrossFit five six days a week. How often are you posting uh, with F three? With F three, I'm posting twice a week. So uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but we have a, like special workout on Tuesdays, which is just run. That's run. So with, is like that run, run with risky? Run with risky, exactly. Yeah. So I do run on Tuesdays and Saturdays. My main F three day, where you know I go and I have the boot camp. We hit the cafeteria afterwards, and then I hit my gym. Yeah. Cool. So that's my Saturday morning regimen. Yes, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know the. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say it, it. It. I don't know. My sense. You know, I follow a lot of you guys like Strava, Twitter, and and those things just because of our you know friendship we've developed from doing the BRR together. It's. It seems like maybe Princeton's starting to kind of catch hold, and and it seems like maybe it's like new AOs are launching, and you're kind of maybe hitting kind of like a little bit of a growth phase right now, and that's uh, right. you're really starting to get some expansion going there. Is that is that right? That's absolutely right. There's like literally New Jersey right now is bubbling with activity. So uh, maybe three or four weeks ago, we had Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton AO just started right now. Uh, it was actually, I forgot, it was Marvin's uh, father-in-law. Marvin is one of the packs from F3 Jacksonville. And when he was here, he kind of got his father-in-law infected with F3 virus. Mm. <laughs> and, now, and, and now his father-in-law started F3 Hamilton. And we definitely, a couple of our guys, we we hit Hamilton uh, Veterans Park and uh, kind of help out to start to launch new uh, AO. Uh, we just had Hoboken AO being started. Uh, and, you know, Hoboken is right right across this uh, river from Manhattan. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of far away from us, yep. uh, way farther north. We have one uh, year anniversary of uh, Morris, F3 Morris, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is this coming weekend. Uh, we have, I've seen some exchanges on Slack, uh, that, uh, New Providence packs that were trying to start F3 Summit, which is like another place in central Jersey. So like there's tons of activity, a lot going on. New Jersey yeah. is like very hot right now. Cool. Yeah. You know that the, um, I think the biggest difference between F3 and something like CrossFit, which what makes F3 the most unique is its mission. And the mission is to develop leaders, right? So to invigorate male community leadership. And so the whole, like you said, peer led on a rotational basis and guys have to step up and lead and do that kind of stuff. I I don't know, but I don't think that kind of thing exists anywhere else, like in any gym, CrossFit, whatever. So you're usually paying money, if you're paying money to a coach or paying money to a gym or, you know, you're on your own, you're by yourself, but... Uh, it, but would, it wouldn't be a good business model to try and raise new crossfit gyms out of your gym right no, right well <laughs> that's like, why that's what you could do let's raise guys up to feel like they can coach themselves and go start their own gym right yeah, yeah. that's what that's what you could do when it's <laughs> free yeah. yeah but actually but to be honest like Pelop, i have to say that some of the guys i started with like five years ago when i started with crossfit i've seen those guys actually growing and becoming coaches 
That's yeah. what happens to people. Yeah. You know, if they're really like committed, they become coaches. They go to take certification and they start coaching themselves. Right, but that's not the mission of CrossFit. Absolutely, yeah. It's just kind of incidental what happens yeah. if you're really kind of obsessed with it. And, you know, yep. yeah. initial progression. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, y'all might have noticed that uh, uh, Redcoat uh, doesn't have a New Jersey accent. He does not. Yeah, a different kind of accent. <laughs> so, um, so Reiko, why don't you tell us uh, what, uh, where you grew up, what life was like growing up, and you know, tell us your story from from then. Sure, sure. So uh, sometimes when people ask me like what kind of accent, obviously everybody can hear my accent because I was already adult when I moved to the country, and uh, I heard that you have to be like up to maybe fifteen years old, which is kind of that threshold when you can get rid of any accent fully, but if you are over 15, then your accent will stay with you for the rest of your life unless you work on it for, uh, like purposely. So sometimes I ask people, like, guess, <laughs> what, is, what is my accent? And uh, some people tell me, like, it sounds more like German accent, but I doubt. So some people are puzzled. So I'll tell you very simply. So again, I was born in a country that no longer exists. And uh, <laughs> that country was called USSR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually, I bo- I was born and grew up in Minsk, in a town called Minsk, in a country called Belarus, which is one of the former republics of the former USSR. Right. And uh, it's it's a fairly large city, maybe comparable to Philly, let's say size-wise, about maybe 2 million people. I'm not even sure if Philly has 2 million people, but fairly large urban city. Mm, country itself is fairly small, uh, maybe 10 million population, 9 million population. Uh, it's in the very west of uh, of the former Soviet Union, so it's bordering with Poland in the west, Russia in the east, Lithuania in the north, and uh, Ukraine in the south. Mm-hmm. And uh, I left Minsk. I was uh, 24. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, most of my adult life, I lived in the U.S. But I did catch some of that uh, glimpse of uh, what we call old Soviet communism. Yeah. So when I was uh, growing up, I was uh, going to school. It was mandatory. You had to become a member of like the Young Communist League. You have to, you know, when you're in, in high school, when you were, I guess you were in uh, fourth grade, you were becoming a, they used to call how do you call them? Pioneer. Well, I'm not sure what's the equivalent, English equivalent, but like they call them pioneers. pioneers kind of. Uh, so you wear like the red, the, uh, kind of red scarf, I guess yeah. you can call it. Red tie, red tie, I'm sorry, red tie. Uh, so yeah, I did experience some of that. Like I had to, actually when I was in college, I, I went to I went to college there as well and I graduated and I actually ended up working a couple of years after my graduation and uh, before leaving the country. And uh, it, when I was in college, like scientific communism was one of my actually subjects. It, it, it may sound hilarious to you. <laughs> well, we'll say <laughs> that actually, again. What, what communism? Scientific? Scientific. It was considered to be a a theory of uh, how society develops. Okay. Like it was it was basically kind of declared that every society as it develops eventually uh, it goes through stages of development, right? Like they go people go through like the uh, cave, like caveman people, right? They live in the caves, whatever, and then uh, they go like through feudalism, they go through uh, capitalism, and eventually after capitalism, there's a next uh, kind of degree of society development, which is basically socialism and then communism. Uh, it's a whole theory, right? Like that Marx created back right. when yeah. in like 18th century, what 19th century. So, and it was 
there was actually subjects that people had to study in college as one of the subjects. No matter what you do, no matter what you occupy, what your majors, you had to take it. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah. So, so basically, you're indoctrinated into uh, into what the party wants you to believe, and what your party wants you—the philosophy, political philosophy—they want you to believe that's the best, right? Because right. we're talking about a, an evolution of types of government, and uh, yes, yeah, yes, exactly. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. That's that's right. That's right. So when you uh, were, when you were young, uh, were you, were, was your family prosperous? I mean, I don't think you could be rich in a communist country, can you? So, like, no, <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, there were like two classes of people. One was like just regular class, you know, everybody who's working, and of course, people could be doing like white collar jobs or blue collar jobs. But nevertheless, like the, I would say, family prosperity levels would be approximately the same. Not much difference. You wouldn't really notice much difference. Versus the upper class, which was usually people are you know who are connected. Either they were like some kind of party functioners, right. you know, kind of, kind of uh, maybe government officials, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that were somehow connected either to the party or to the government. Mm-hmm. So essentially, these were the two classes of people. And what so, was your what was your family? Yeah. What did your parents do? Uh, my family was very, ba- very like regular family, absolutely regular family. My mom was engineer. She would work for uh, the company that was doing the build, you know, like the actually building company construction company and my dad was uh he was a uh, uh, uh he was doing the clothes modeling he was like modeling clothes for men for women um so again nothing really like not connected to any party uh office or government whatsoever so just regular middle class people to go back your your dad was a model no, no, modeling clothes. Mo- he was creating clothes. Creating clothes. Okay, I was thinking he was. Yeah. Like, I, I, that's why I just wanted to clarify. I was like, oh, "That's cool. Your dad was a model." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said modeling no, women's no. and men's clothes. That, oh, he's. Oh, he, I didn't he catch the women's he's, part. That he's must making have, them. That yeah. must have slipped past me. Right. What, making never, them. Sorry. Yeah. You never right. know. He's yeah. Making uh, clothes. No. no. <laughs> right. Got it. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Just wanted to clarify. We're all good now. Carry yeah, on. Yeah, that's cool. So when you were young, did you, did you, uh, I don't know how it is in like the former USSR. Did you play, did everybody play sports? I mean, what was that like? Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody plays. I mean, kids play sports. Like we had, I had classmates who were doing swimming. I was actually, uh, when I, I forgot what grade I started, I was doing judo at the time. Oh, yeah. Judo was insanely, po- judo was insanely popular. And I tried, uh, I, they call it, uh, Regular wrestling, they call it Greco-Roman wrestling. Right, I think. Yeah. That's the kind of traditional name. So I tried that first, and I kind of didn't like it, but I love the you know judo uniforms. So I said, okay, <laughs> I told my parents, I want to, <laughs> I want to do judo. And okay, no problem. And uh, yeah, I was uh, actually probably uh, going like three times a week at least mm-hmm. um, to to the gym and doing you know all kinds of stuff. And we we had some competitions as well. And uh, yeah, I love judo. I you know. I, I think I would still do it if if, if not cross it. <laughs> in, right. in that in that era, were athletes being uh, like selected at a young age that were participating in the different sports and kind of being forced? Well, I don't know whether forced uh, or uh, encouraged to go down certain paths to develop, you know, independent like potentially like an Olympic athlete. Was that was that like happening? Uh, it's hard. Well, I guess yes. I mean, if you obviously, if your kid is interested in a particular sport, you would take take him to that place, and he would start. And then, depending on what coaches tell you, you would have him continue. 
And, uh, you know, soccer was insanely popular. Uh, Belarus is, is uh, famous for gymnastics. Uh, I would say another sport which is big is probably like biathlon. It's mm-hmm. another like, you know, ten- tennis as well. I'm mm-hmm. sure you heard of Azarenko. Yeah. You heard of like some, some other names. So, yeah, like there are some sports where they're really good at. And, uh, yeah, and those sports are flourishing at the time, at least, for, you know, from what I remember. Yeah, when I think of sports in the, in the Soviet Union or Russia, you know, you think of wrestling. That's like the first thing I think of. Gymnastics, weightlifting, ice hockey, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, judo, I didn't know that yeah. judo was big in uh, the USSR. But uh, so, you know, jujitsu is really popular now, you know, and yes. all over the place. And we mm-hmm. know people doing jujitsu and stuff like that. Have you ever done that? No, not jiu-jitsu, but yeah. I had friends who were doing karate. Actually, yeah. believe it or not, but karate was somehow considered to be almost like censored sport. Like, it was not uh, it was not encouraged. Let's put it this way. Oh, why? It was, uh, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, it was, it was kind of like underground. Like, the people who wanted to train karate, to do karate, they, were, they had to do this kind of in semi-legal way. Like, not semi-official way. Uh-huh. I don't know why. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask, so you were what, like 13, no, 10? Were you like 10 or 11 when the Miracle on Ice happened? 1980. Miracle right? on Ice? Four yeah, years yeah. Younger than yeah. Like, do you remember that as a kid? Because you'd have like the completely opposite right. viewpoint, right, is what we is what we would have. You guys probably remember Olympics of 1980, right? Yeah. When Americans didn't come to uh, to Olympics in Moscow, and then Soviets didn't come to Olympics in LA in yeah. 1984. Right. Yeah. That no, was so, uh, scary. Right. Scary time. So you would have been 10, I think, because I was 14. Yeah. It's about four so years. I was just trying to remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Belarus is not Russia, right? So correct. Is this are the languages similar? Languages are similar, and I would say right now, especially after like so many years after the Soviet Union breakup, like people realize it is not Russia at all, just like Ukraine is not Russia. Belarus in the same way, in, in a different way, in its own way, but it's not Russia. Yeah. Languages are similar because they're both Slavic languages, right? right. And uh, in, in cities, usually people speak Russian, like educated people speak Russian, but in the country, you would hear people speak uh, Belarusian, of course, uh, people in the west of the country, it's more like Poland oriented. So people are usually Catholics, and there's some Polish population there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like there are two halves of the country. Like there's the western half, which is closer to Poland culturally, and eastern part, which is closer to Russia culturally. Right. Very similar, I would say, to Ukraine in some ways. So yeah, and language is its own. Uh, but uh, again, it, now it's obviously used more since the independence. Um, yeah. So uh, the war in Ukraine, how is that affecting Belarus? Well, I'm sure you guys know that, uh, you know, it's one of the bad guys right now. <laughs> There's a dictator for life who's in power right now. In Belarus? He's been elected. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Well, I didn't know. Heard. Uh. Okay. So there's a guy in power. His name is, last name is Lukashenko. And he's been in power since 1994, literally since the year I left the country. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and uh, they tried to, you know, kick him out of power with the last probably most serious attempt that happened in 2020 when uh, after 
elections that were completely, completely uh, botched. You know, you could say that, you know, just literally people didn't believe any results whatsoever. So, like, there were enormous uh, protests. Mm-hmm. in Minsk and all the cities around the country like even in villages people were protesting there were like literally hundreds and thousands of people in the street like I read maybe 200 or 300,000 people at the time were protesting so but all of that protest was lasting maybe like two or three months and eventually the government kind of crashed it all a lot of people ended up in jail a lot of people ended up injured disappeared beaten god knows what yeah. and uh, yeah and uh, all that protest movement kind of got subsided. And, you know, right now it's just 100% repression. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. I did hear that guy's name before Lukashenko. Because yeah, are, are they, pardon my ignorance, are, is, is Belarus like allowing Russia to kind of attack Ukraine from the northern? Yes. And right. Yes. You're okay. absolutely right. Yeah. Yes. They have, they have, they had the troops there. They had, uh, they used their airports military airports they used uh you know pretty much everything and it just literally became like a base for you know attack in ukraine yeah. so and uh, obviously population nobody asked population people agree with this or not you know as you can imagine yeah but that's that's what happens so sanctions that we have right now against russia are equally applied against belarus but maybe a little bit like maybe not as as harsh maybe like some sanctions are not exactly equal i don't know the details but it's a sanctioned country right now do you still have family there no no unfortunately i don't have anyone left there well actually no i I, i'm wrong i'm sorry (laughs) my wife's sister yes she -hmm. still lives there my sister-in-law um and uh, yeah i mean we talk to her regularly um on skype just internet luckily still works there (laughs) right yeah. 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 So um you left in 94, so that's after the uh USSR broke up. Is, that's right. So what first of all, why did you leave and you know, how did that come about? Like um okay. <laughs> so then I have to kind of start from like far away, I guess. So as you aware probably or I don't know, but the USSR broke up in 1991, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It started with the Baltic countries declaring independence. And then kind of things started bubbling up. And then what happened is in August 1991, uh, there was a coup, right? Military coup. So basically at the time, Gorbachev was the first and last president of the Soviet Union. And he was introducing different kinds of reforms. He was introducing economic reforms, political reforms. Uh, they allowed other parties to appear, not polit- political parties, not just communist party, but like other parties. Uh, people started small businesses, people started like larger businesses, etc. And there were people obviously that were not happy with, with this, you know, change of lifestyle, you know. And uh, one day, like we just wake up and then boom, like TV has the uh, Tchaikovsky on it and the Tchaikovsky Ballet, uh, uh, Swan Lake. This is kind of traditional uh, music theme when Soviet leaders used to die. They were playing Swan Lake on the radio and on TV. Uh-huh. Too. So then again, everybody's like, it, it was August uh, 19th of uh, 1991. Yeah. So Swan Lake is on TV and then boom, you have these ugly faces, ugly mugs appearing. And then they say, oh, you know, uh, Mr. Gorbachev was arrested right now. And uh, we're going to restore the old order and, uh, you know, and whatever, whatever else they do a thing. So basically there was this kind of semi-military coup where, 
Gorbachev's VP and some generals and KGB head, I don't remember who was that at the time, basically arrested him. They put him in some Dutch in Crimea. And then they said, okay, now we're going to kind of roll all the reforms back and everything would going to be like handy dandy. And uh, yeah, and all this stuff luckily lasted for three days. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, then what happened is that Yeltsin, who was already uh, Russian president, he was president of Russian Republic within USSR. He kind of said, like, there's no way this is, you know, he basically called people to come on the street. And then they started protesting in Moscow in front of the, uh, then uh, these, the, the, the co-organizers, they called the army. Long story short, you know, the whole thing ended in three days. And, uh, and these guys are, you know, were kicked out. So, and uh, de facto, de facto, so, so Gorbachev was let out of whatever the house he was sitting in. But de facto, Soviet Union ceased to exist. And then, Eventually, every country has to declare had to declare their own independence. So, what happened as a result of this? Uh, uh, basically, it was a chaos, like enormous chaos, and all these you know former republics of the Soviet Union, you know, because they had to establish their own borders, they had to establish their own money, their own citizenships, their own everything. Right? They had right. to build economies. It can, like it was one country, interconnected, like very interconnected, as you can imagine. And all of a sudden, all these Connections start to break, so there was enormous chaos, uh, political, economic, uh, cultural chaos too. Because at the time there was no, like, all there was a flood of information from from the West, basically, and uh, you know, and as a result, like the economic situation became like really desperate. Like you could work, but you there was enormous inflation, very very. I don't know how many percent, but like basically all the savings that my parents had, they kind of disappeared over the course of, I don't know, two, three months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like if you heard of the story of Venezuela, it was something similar happening in Soviet Union back in like early 90s, right? During 1991. Anyway, long story short, I didn't really feel like I had any kind of future in that kind of environment. I always... I had, uh, like, when I was growing up, I always had older friends. I had friends who were older than me, like five, six, seven years older. And at the time, uh, some of them already left the country. Um, and I had a lot of information coming to me from, from them. So I already had friends here. I had friends in uh, in Australia, in Israel, in Germany. So and I kind of made my mind. I said, like, there's no way in hell <laughs> I want to stay here. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, so and long story short, uh, in '94 we got our paperwork ready, and we were able to leave the country. I already had my wife; we were married. I had my one-year-old son, and we left. Yeah, and that was uh, that was it. And uh, we landed in New York in September of 1994. And you were you said you were working already in Belarus. What were you doing? Yeah, um, I worked as a software engineer. It was. Uh, I graduated in 1992, so I, strictly speaking, I had like two full years of experience. Uh, and again, because there was kind of very economic, uh, very theoretical situation in economy, like everybody was on their own. Like, because again, economy used to be uh, planned in Soviet Union. I'm sure you heard of it, yeah. right? Everything was kind of coming from the top to the bottom. Like when all that system disappeared overnight, everybody had to figure out like how to survive, right? So. The company I was working for, we were uh, creating accounting software, and we found clients 
you know, in the north of the country and uh, we're traveling there like for business trips. There were different factories, different uh, companies that were making, you know, all kinds of things and we're just creating accounting package for them and installing it and supporting it, etc. Like everybody had to do accounting. And uh, that was my kind of first work experience. And uh, it became like, it was very much applicable to the market site. As I found out, it was very much applicable, uh, you know, in the US on my first months and days in the country. Yeah, and you worked on Wall Street? Is that where you started? No, no, I started first uh, with some marketing companies. I worked in in technology, obviously information technology, uh, but a couple of marketing companies. Uh, And then uh, slowly I moved to Wall Street uh, approximately, I think in 2000 was my first job when I, when I had my first Wall Street job, uh, Wall Street job. Yeah. That must've been quite a, quite a, uh, yeah, that must've been quite a cultural shock to go from wherever you were in Belarus to New York city. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you the biggest shock was the like insane diversity of it. Right. right? You could see people like from everywhere and yes, Belarus had its own foreign students. There were a lot of foreign students actually coming to study there because it was super cheap, right? So there were students from like uh, South America, from Africa, but still like I would never have, like like my wife, for example, when she went to college, they had uh, students from uh, Ghana, from like Peru, from, I forgot where else, Thailand maybe, right? So those students were like, they, they were fun, they were like interesting to talk to, to practice English, etc. but still like, nowhere near <laughs> all the you know craziness of new york yeah. like it's just overwhelming it's like insane it was a culture shock yeah you know? it was a culture shock but in a good sense i mean i got used to it pretty quickly and i actually to me it was a, it was like a discovery making discoveries every day you know yeah it's a crazy city man yeah how about it i like to visit it <laughs> once every 20 years or so i don't want to live there <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> I always get drugged there at Christmas time. I'm like, can we go sometime when it's like nice out? Like, yeah, right. Not freezing cold yeah. and there's not like extra people in New York City. There's just way too many people living yeah. in way too small a place. Yeah. Agreed. Totally agreed. Where, yeah, di- where, where did you live? We lived in Brooklyn, actually. It's okay. uh, obviously, you know, it's like transition, uh, how do you call it? Transition base. Tra- uh, you know, like base where everybody comes and stays for some time and move the hell out of that. Uh, but yeah, we lived uh, for five years. Okay. The old Italian neighborhood, but as we lived there, it was kind of transforming in front of our eyes. It was changing, you know, just ethnically, like who lived there and everything, but Italians were moving out. All right. And how'd you end up in Jersey? Uh, Well, it was kind of (laughs) very, very like simple reason. So, when it was time for my older son to go to school, we decided, all right, we definitely don't want him to go to school in New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and we kind of were looking for the place which would be within reasonable distance, uh, you know, to commute to the city right. uh, for work. And something within, let's say, one hour radius, that, you know, that was our kind of our scope of search. And uh, we landed up in, uh, you know, in Princeton area. And mm-hmm. uh, been here ever since, love Princeton, like really love my town. Um, yeah. You can get into Manhattan in an hour from Princeton? A little bit more. If you take the train, maybe hour, hour, 15 minutes. Okay. Depends, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, I, I, I was going to say, if you have to drive there 
probably going to be more. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you definitely don't want to drive there. Yeah, no. I mean, you can drive there. You can get to the Holland Tunnel or Lincoln Tunnel, let's say, in one hour, but then you take you another hour just to get through it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. My wife and I just took a cruise. We sailed out of Manhattan, but fortunately, the cruise ship left and returned on a Sunday. And so I was able to drive into Manhattan on a Sunday morning and I was able to drive out of Manhattan on a Sunday morning. And that you could do pretty easily because the city's sleeping it in, on Sunday morning. But, uh, but man, most of the time it's just crazy. Trying to get, Absolutely. trying to get in the Lincoln tunnel. There was one time we, it was Christmas. Like we did the same thing yeah. over Christmas season. We'd be there. And I never saw, you know how they're like, there's a merge point into one lane there had to be like 20 roads merging into one little road to get into the tunnel yeah. it was just and exactly cars are diagonal to each other cattywampus I and mean, everybody's beeping at each other and you got to be aggressive mm-hmm. i don't know how my car didn't get oh, yeah. hit i was like like an inch from cars on both sides and stuff like that. i don't know how i didn't get hit exactly there's two tubes right sometimes they close one tube right yeah like what are you doing (laughs) open all that stuff up yeah and it's a it's like you 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 realize wow new york why new yorkers are like the way they are yeah because it's it's just stressful (sighs) hey but it's a but hey a lot of people love the city (laughs) i guess i've always been fortunate like i've never hmm. yeah i must always just go like weekends when it's not as bad or something. Well, the first the, that the, that was the first and last time I did yeah. it. Then we were leaving on a uh, like a Saturday night or something. We were trying to get out. So every other time we went, I told my wife we're going there at five in the morning, and we're leaving at five in the morning. Yeah. So I could get in and out of the city. Yeah, the other problem is the yeah. parking. You got to pay for a for, pay a fortune for parking. Yeah, I think that's usually my case. Right, it was always like early morning on a Saturday or something like that whenever yeah. I went. But yeah, parking's not cheap, but. Uh, so, so I can't remember now. Do you, do you commute to work some still? Are you, you're not working in the city anymore? No, not anymore. Uh, I do go there for work maybe once in a blue moon, like once in a quarter or so, but not more than that. And if I go, I take the train. Yeah. There's no way I, <laughs> I want to drive there. Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. That, that, that you could do. You sit on a train, take a nap. Read, read a newspaper, oh, yeah. read, read a book, whatever, yeah. right? Listen to the High Impact Man podcast. Of course. Listen to the High Impact Man podcast while you're on the train. It's a great idea. It's on my, absolutely, it's on my iTunes. Right. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. Um, so did you work as an architect? I saw in your bio you worked as an architect. A software architect. Oh, right? software <laughs> architect. I did okay. All right. He was like, "What's a software?" Nothing to do with cities. Oh, okay. Well, he's he's building art, building software. That's right. <laughs> so, how many kids yeah, do you have? You, so, I have two boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, both of them are grown up. So, my older one is uh, thirty, mm-hmm. and my younger one is twenty-one. All right. So they're nine years apart. What do they as do? You can imagine. Well, my oldest son, he's an engineer as well. He graduated. Uh, what, five, six years ago already. And uh, he went to Penn State, actually. He uh, He's doing some communication, communications engineering uh, technolo- in technology as well. Um, my younger one is a college student. He's junior. He's junior at college. Where's he at? Uh, he's at Rutgers. Just Har- transferred. Harvard? Rutgers. Oh, Rutgers. No, Rutgers, Rutgers. Rutgers. Yeah. Penn <laughs> yeah. State, baby. By the way, Penn State, the plan Ohio State. That's right. Big game this weekend. Yep. Two days from now. Here we go. Go Lions. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
now I got it. So we got to we got to find out how you got involved with the. Wait, can I can I ask one thing quick? Before yeah, we, before yeah we go ahead. So you mentioned your 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 wife's mother is the only one you have still back in Belarus. Sister. Oh, your wife's sister is sister. that what it was? Sister. Mm-hmm. Has, yeah. Has yep. some of your other family came over to the United States since you did? Yes, actually, my older brother he lives uh, maybe half an half an hour away from from me. His okay. family. He has also grown kids. Uh, his kids live all over the place. I mean, all over the place. Actually, my niece she lives in with her family. Uh, they live in the city in Manhattan, and my nephew he's in the army, so he lives in uh, upstate New York on the Canadian border. Oh, wow. uh, close, yeah, close to, uh, to Canadian border there. Uh, yeah. So he, uh, my brother, his wife, they're in East Brunswick, close by. Nice. So I got to find out how a guy from Belarus, f- former Soviet Union, comes to America and he starts doing reenactments for, <laughs> from the American Revolution. How about it? How does that happen, brother? Yeah, that's, that's uh, again, standard question, right? Just like my accent. So so what happened is that I've always been a history buff. I've been kind of fascinated by history, by like all different periods. And uh, it was it was not that much of a history itself that fascinated me, but like how people felt at that time. How was their like view of the world in a way, mm-hmm. right? What kind of thoughts they had, how they how they related to the world, right? And, uh, you know, with the reenactment of Revolutionary War, it was kind of like all of a sudden in a way that, you know, Princeton, first of all, is a very historical area. There's Princeton Battlefield. Right. And I've seen those crazy guys on the Princeton Battlefield shooting from cannons. You know, with the muskets and stuff. Right. <laughs> and then one day, one day, I was uh, watching TV and I just uh, kind of bumped into HBO series called John Adams. Yeah. I don't know if you watched it, but like I was so uh, inspired by his story and by just by kind of general, you know, uniqueness of that period by something that, you know, really didn't have analogs in history in a way. And uh, I just like literally, I said like I want to get in the into that skin. I want to be in the skin of the people of that time. And yeah. you know, it's fairly easy actually. There are a lot of these living history organizations, especially like around New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, uh, New York. Uh, so you can find living history organization. You can join them. They will help you. They're mm-hmm. very friendly. And then you can start kind of slowly building your own kit, joining events and. Then you get you get in just like you're getting into a street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I I really love colonial history, American colonial history, and so it sounds like you do too. So I it's I love the fact that you said you knew you're interested in what the feeling of the people were, what they were like back then. So what did you discover about early Americans? You know, in colonial uh, America, there were survivors, right? Like the life was super hard. If mm-hmm. you think about it, like all the luxuries that we have, you know, we wake up, we turn on the lights, we have a hot shower, you know, we like put up the kettle to make coffee, whatever. All these things were like fought for. Like literally, you wake up in the cold house or whatever, maybe warm house, but you have to have, you know, your uh, fireplace going. You have to get your water in the house. You had to go outside to your, for your business, you know, to, you know, you didn't have toilets in right. the house. So all, the life was super hard. I'm not saying like Europe was any different, right? But here it was like pretty much, you know, much wilder, let's say, right? right? Like all the land was empty. Like, of course, there were Native people, there were Native Americans and everything, but the life was life of survival. And you had to really think 
to get through life, but like, what do you want to pass to your children? Like, what do you want to, you have to get this hardened mindset, right? Hardened mindset. And that's what kind of always fascinated me, like how people, you know, got the way to be the way they were, you know? Yeah. And, and part of that was your, uh, you know, medical care was virtually non-existent. So, um, there was exactly. a high, not just infant infant death rate, but you know, kids would die young and stuff like that. So they had, and they would have big families, right? But it was yep. not uncommon for every couple to have lost a few children. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The diseases were rampant. You know, uh, it, in in the best case, you could get maybe I don't know a uh, barber who could who could like, treat you right. if you were lucky, and to find a doctor was like a little bit luck. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, life was super hard. But what my what my uh, study of uh, the people of that time in colonial America was that they had an even higher literacy rate than we have now. So people were very Absolutely. well. Um, they they could read, and they didn't just read. And and the tip of the most important thing they read was the Bible. That's what everybody had a Bible, and they learned how to read the Bible. And uh, and when you learn how to read, it was A is for Adam. You know, so all the Letters mm-hmm. of the alphabet were associated with a biblical yeah. character or something like that. Um, but they they also, if, if you correct me if I'm wrong, if you know differently, but from what I understand, they read they read the classics as well. I mean, you know, they didn't have TV or radio or any of that stuff. You, know, you got to do your chores <laughs> yeah. and then you get a candle and you read something, right? So, and books were precious. Exactly. Uh, but what I read about the time is that, you know, the, when the, the town taverns, people would go there and they would talk about philosophy and and uh, government uh, philosophy and the, the, uh, the, theology and you know and history and things like that and they're really somehow enamored by the Roman Empire but um, is that what you found I mean that's what I read absolutely in- that's 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 what I found yes and uh, you know and people used to read Plato people used to read Socrates, Socrates right. Machiavelli you know things were like foundational for you know how to create government what's the what are the right ways to govern? Something, the hard life, I guess, the fact that they escaped Europe, you know, like all the craziness of Europe, of the old world, all right. that, you know, screwed up ways that the old world had, it made people think how to make their life better, how to settle their life in a way that would be different. That would be, you know, what's the right way for society to exist? What's the, like, most beneficial way that everybody would get some benefit from it? Yeah. And of course, there were tons of, problems and imperfections and difficulties and yes they were under the crown absolutely they were subjugated by the crown they were you were british colonies but nevertheless people had those thoughts they, they were thinking about it as opposed to like in europe where people lived for centuries in the way kind of in a very settled way yeah. nobody nobody even though europe experienced its own turmoil it had its own revolutions but here people got like the opportunity the, the possibility to kind of come to the uh, ideal ways of society without maybe without bloodshed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And so here we have a guy, Redcoat, who grew up in Belarus and he had to study scientific government and he had to uh, learn that socialism and communism was the epoch, epoch, yeah. epoch, whatever, the, the most highest advanced form of government. And then he comes to America, right? And you find out that uh, we don't think of it that way. We think that this, a representative government, you know, this republic, this democracy is the highest thing, right? And the proof is in the yeah, pudding, yeah. I think. 
the proof is in the pudding and the people who actually put the foundation of this country together were like absolutely amazing people and uh, they were you know once in a millennia kind of people and you know in the same way like you you would think of renaissance for example how what what exactly happened in in society on this planet right that you got like so many geniuses on a, such a small piece of land like that was Toscany <laughs> at right. the time right like yeah, yeah. how the hell they all lived together within like few decades all that explosion happened yeah. in the same way like during revolutionary times like how did we ended up with like john hancock with uh, jefferson adams with all these people who ended up like in the same piece of land at the same time yeah that put together the foundation of this country yeah. it's 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 unbelievable yeah yeah got to see god's hand in all of it i think yeah and it's it's first of all it's Definitely, there's a certain kind of providence, right? That yes. directed this. I'm kind of, I'm also like, I'm not, I don't want to put specific religion on top of this, but like, it's it's hard to be an absolute coincidence, right? Yeah. It's yeah. hard. It, it's like impossible coincidence. Yeah. And they recognize that because you use the word providence, and that's the word they use over and over again, all those guys. It's, it was, you know, providential, the hand of providence, you know, all this stuff. Pretty cool, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can tell I'm pretty. I'm a geek about that. So. I know. You get all excited. I do. I'm like I sat up straight. I, I didn't sit up straight because we're talking about this. It's because my back hurts. But. Yeah. <laughs> see, uh, yeah. See, meanwhile, see, I would go a different direction because, like, I'm yeah. intrigued by the the reenacting. Okay. So. Okay. So so yeah, where my mind goes instead of all the stuff you're talking about, like, is like, how, like how much does it, how when you get like the full garb and everything like that like how, how like how much does that end up costing like I would think it'd be very expensive and then my, oh. uh, yeah go ahead I'll let you answer that I first know, and then I'll ask my other question yeah I know where you're going with this right so apparently your your most expensive piece is your musket right because uh-huh. it's a muzzle loading yeah. uh, muzzle loading musket and uh, people get usually people get replicas and those replicas are. Actually, funny, <laughs> funny, but they—they they usually the good quality replicas are Japanese ones, <laughs> and I—I I, I know that they have yeah. So brown best made in Japan, and Indian replicas and Indian replicas as well. Indians usually lower quality, like really bad ones, but uh, everybody wants to get Japanese brown best. Huh. <laughs> uh, that's that's one thing, and then the rest of your kit is fairly cheap. I mean, yes, you get your clothes made, uh, you get your uniform. Uh, usually, your unit takes care of the fabrics, and then there are some handy people, and some people are not that handy. So there are special tailors who can make you 18th century clothes, and like military as well as civilian. Some people uh, get the patterns, and they get the fabrics, proper fabrics, and they do it themselves. There are special stores for reenactors too. You can find some stores online. And you can order things which are difficult to get other, you know, by any other means. Uh, people in the unit usually they don't just, you know, run around in the battlefield. They actually try to kind of uh, demonstrate some aspect of material culture of the time. So there could be people who work with the leather. There could be people who are blacksmiths, uh, like any other kind of professions. So, for example, my captain, he is great with leather. So he helped me to get my uh, uh, my holster, my uh, sorry, uh, uh, for for my ammo, my ammo box. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, uh, for example, I wanted to get my hat right uh, done. So I went to the class. In fact, the Washington Crossing Museum they have these classes or seminars every year, I guess, where you can come and you can make your own Revolutionary War hat, right? <laughs> 
Um, then, yeah, I mean, eventually so you get, so basically when you just join any of these kind of organizations, wedding history organizations, they have to have some items for you to kind of borrow for some time so you can participate in the event. And then over time, as you start kind of getting involved, you build your own kit, you get your own everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe like in a year or two, you get, you pretty much equipped soldier or whatever, whoever you are, you know, whichever mm-hmm. unit you're a member of. And and that leads me to my next question. So when you like you start, like like how do you how do you get assigned like the different roles? Like do you start out as just, you know, is it just like the military? Right. Basically, you start yeah you, know, you start out as just like a basic basic with, with dude, it. right? Yeah. Squad member, and then you work your way up to exactly. to being like a higher ranking official. Exactly. So when you start, you you private, right? You you could you could try to impersonate. If again, there are historical records, you can pick who you want to impersonate, in particular. But we don't have so many records of that time of like individual people. Like yes, we do. We do know that particular units had like this kind of uniform color. They had. They were based out of you know this place, etc., yeah. etc. Et Maybe names of captain or you know somebody else, but that's about it. So. And you can make your own story. You can make your own name. You can take your own uh, nickname or something, just like a tree, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and then you get as you get kind of into this, you your story can develop. You know, you can uh, become a surgeon. You can become a corporal. You can uh, maybe if you like so involved, you can become a captain of the unit, something like that. So, what's your rank? Oh, I'm just private. <laughs> I'm private. Just a just a regular old private. Yeah, you know, I don't. You yeah, know, I I like I love a lot about that that era, but I don't get the tri corner hat. Like, what what's up with that? That was a silly hat. Tri corner. Yeah, the hat uh, with the three. You you mean, yeah, yeah, just a regular hat. I mean, you you saying why is that? Well, that was what, the actual red the, coats that were the. Right? No, so did Americans. They were the. Did we? Yeah. No, we it didn't. Was, it was standard hat. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Everybody had the hat. They wore that and thing with the was, three the three things. It's th- they call it yeah, tri corner yeah, hat. Exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know why the hats were that way at that time. I guess it was probably fairly simple to make. I'm not sure. Yes. You could see also, you could see people with, uh, you know, for example, Philadelphia Associators didn't wear tricorder uh, hats. Yeah. They had like a, just a regular hat, like with the brim, you know, like nothing fancy. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the tricorners uh, got washed rain away from the top of your head better, like gutters or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, hey, this is a good idea. Let's make a hat looks like this with okay, three so, pokey sides. Well, yeah, so it served two purposes. First, it allowed stylish gentlemen to show off the most current fashions of their wigs oh. and thus their social status. And secondly, the cocked hat with its folded brim was much smaller than other hats and therefore could be more easily tucked under an arm when going inside a building. Where social etiquette dictates okay. that a gentleman should there remove you go. There you go. his hat. So there you go. Google the power of Google. That's right. Now awesome. I know. Awesome. Very practical. Yeah. Practical. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Back then, a lot of things were about practicality, right? I guess it was. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um. So um. Back to F three and the workouts. You this guy can run, right? Yeah. Redcoat can run. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but you you only go to one running beat down a week. Do you run on your own outside of that? I do, I do, I do. Uh, Sunday is my long run day. Uh, so I kind of love to run from my house to the train station and back. <laughs> and that makes it about eight and a half to nine miles. 
I don't I don't do this every Sunday, but uh, I try to to do this like on a more or less periodic basis. So I kind of keep keep myself on my toes, <laughs> in a way, in terms of running. Yeah. Um, so what's your uh, your favorite exercise to do? I mean, you got CrossFit, you do boot camp, you run. What's 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 your favorite? Um, a specific what like you mean exercise during the workout? Well, either one, yeah, exercise during the workout, but also like what 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 would what's your favorite thing? Do you like to run? Do you like to do boot camp stuff or like CrossFit? Or are they all the same? I love to combine uh, cardio and strength. Okay. Uh, when this is kind of like one of the. <clears throat> deficiencies i feel we have in f3 because we don't have like we we are outdoors and uh we don't have like enough weights i mean we can bring weights but we don't have like good selection of weights i would love to i like to kind of combine run with the with the strength exercise so whether it's running pull-ups or running like dumbbell snatches or dumbbell cleans or you know barbell cleans when you have to run you get your heart uh, uh, heart rate elevated, right. and then you have to work uh, to build your strengths up. This is the most effective way to build strengths, and you can uh, you can be like you can literally uh, get yourself you know developed much quicker, strength wise. Yeah, yeah. If you do this, so with there, the there are heart rate. Um, there are AOs in different regions that do um, they do resistance training, but they use obviously could use cinder blocks, but some guys use like hundred pound sandbags other implements like that. So you can, you know, you could do a strength training workout. You could do it outside. Uh, you won't be using, well, you could bring a barbell, but the, only one guy would have a barbell, but you could bring sandbags and wear heavy rucks and, you know, do workouts with the ruck and cinder blocks and stuff like that. So you, you could do it. Do you guys do much? Rucking? Yeah. yeah, no. Uh, we do. We do. We actually, we have a couple of guys who love rocking, uh, especially like I know cruiser is a big fan of rocking. Uh, the Terminator. Is, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, Terminator. Yes, that's right. Um, so yeah, we do we do have pre rack actually on Saturdays. I think now it's back into our regular schedule. So uh, our Saturday boot camp starts at seven, and then we're gonna have pre rack at six thirty. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not long, one hour, but then you bring your back, you bring your weighted vest, you whatever whatever you want to do, and uh, we just walk around our AO. Yeah, and, uh, I love I love that actually. I love it too. Did you, did you just recently do Ragnar? No, I didn't go to Ragnar this year. We did yeah. go to Ragnar in 2021, I think, okay. two years back. And this year, I kind of it was kind of too late for me to jump in. We already had the team, and I know the guys had awesome times there. And uh, it's the second time. It's, you probably know that New Jersey Ragnar is not like Pennsylvania Ragnar because New Jersey Ragnar is trail. Yeah. And uh, they do this at Orlando State Park, all the way down, all the way up in New Jersey on the border on the state line with New York. And the trail is insanely technical, yeah. Especially the long loop; it's like seven mile loop or something, six and a half miles. But half of that six and a half miles is essentially boulders. Like you really have to watch out where you're making where you're stepping because, especially if it's like in the late fall and everything is slippery and yeah. it rained before. You you can get hurt like <laughs> very easily, but it's a lot of fun though. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, very um, cool. I kind of regret I didn't make it. I I wish I would I would go this year, but yeah, I, year. yeah. I remember a couple of you guys were going to it, but I couldn't remember whether you were one of the one of the group or not. Yeah, I I missed it. This now the guys are trying to seduce me to go into. Now we have two events coming up, which is the Princeton Half Marathon, 
I think it's in the first weekend of November, and then there's a Rocky Challenge in Philly, which is also half marathon. So I have to make my mind which one to go to. <laughs> right. Very cool. Yeah, it'd be easy for you. All right. Um, so I guess we're down to the last two questions. I yeah? think so, yeah. All right. Let's hit them up. So, so Redcoat, um, if you were to pick somebody, could be somebody from the distant past, present, or whatever that you would say is an inspiration, like a hero to you or whatever, who would that be? Oh, my goodness. It, it, like, does it mean, like, can it be just literally anyone from history? Or from yes, anyone, anyone from history, yeah. Anyone. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I would think... Shish. <laughs> See, I, I, I like think when, maybe I, like I just read... Yeah, no, no, it's good, it's good. Let me, I, I was just thinking, like, you know, I read History of Florence fairly recently by Nicola Machiavelli, and I was amazed, actually, by him. I haven't read his other books, but he was he was really a character. I would like to get into his head, and I think he was really a statesman that, you know, there's a lot to learn from. Uh, so I would say maybe him, or maybe, like, Lorenzo the Magnificent. Again, my favorite Renaissance character. Who is that? Say that guy again. Lorenzo the Magnificent. Lorenzo the, the Magnificent. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, he was ruler of Florence at the time, and uh, during his uh, time, uh, Florence was the most flourishing. It was center where Leonardo and uh, Michelangelo, like they were all working in Florence. Well, oh. he was. Uh, uh, he was kind of ruler of Florence at the time. So he had this talent to attract all the geniuses in mm. one place. So I think it's a, it's a very important talent. Yeah. So I'd love to. I'd love to, <laughs> to have a small piece of it. Have you ever been to Florence? Yes. Yeah, yes. we went. It's, it's we, we, my wife and I were there once. It, it's a pretty interesting place, and that's where the statue that's of David it, is right now. Correct. Yeah. It's it's a yeah senior year. The, the the square in front of it, uh, the whole thing. Florence was a republic at the time when uh, monarchs were everywhere. And it was a republic in the medieval times. So, yeah. unique place, absolutely. Yeah, they had their history of sort of bloody coups and things and families fighting well, and stuff. Yeah. Because I think... Italy, but... Uh, when Dante wrote his book, The Inferno, I think he was, it was a, uh, what would you call it, a satire or whatever of like some of the... Uh, rulers of Florence at the time and stuff like that. I don't remember it's completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was oligarchy, but nevertheless, it was a republic. Yeah, which was tremendous, tremendous uh, at that time. It was one of the very few unique places in Europe which was like this in the world. I would say, and, so, have, and especially yeah. at that period. Right, and they have really good gelato. Hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, well, the important things. I don't think that. Anybody else has ever said Lorenzo the Magnificent? No, that's, I was in the room like that. I think you got two first-time answers right there. Yeah, Machiavelli and Lorenzo the Magnificent. Yeah. All right, last question for you, brother. This is your chance to speak to the men of America. What is your message for the men of America? Stay strong, right? We see what's going on around us. The world is not in a good place right now. And, uh, but what is the world? Like world is, is us essentially. Like yeah. it's, we influence the world, right? We influence those around you. We influence, and those around you are 
essentially kind of spreading this, right? You know, like this uh, principle of, I think, six degrees of connection, right? right? That all people in the world, you know, effectively, like everybody knows everybody through maybe six other connections, right? So mm. it, it's fairly small from from that perspective. Like, what is six people? It's not that many, right? right? So, and uh, essentially your thoughts are material. They influence others and you influence others. Mm-hmm. And you have to be strong. You have to be focused. You have to be positive. And that will make the world better. Nice. Nice. Well said, brother. Stay strong and positive and you can influence the world. Yeah. That's nice. I like that a lot, man. Um, so I didn't even ask you about your faith. What's your faith? I'm not particularly religious. I actually, but I'm, actually I'm Jewish by faith. Right. Um, but I'm not really religious in particular. As you can imagine, growing up in Soviet Union is uh, kind of, I had the very strong uh, inoculation against any kind of religion mm-hmm. at the time. But nevertheless, I know my roots. I know my, uh, you know, where my ancestors were from. And uh, yeah. Do you ever so, get a, do you ever get, um, feel like, or a desire to go to, uh, to, to Israel, uh, you know, to visit? I, I've been there. Oh, have you? I've been there. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've yeah. been there a number of times. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely a fascinating place. It's uh, very unique in a way. Uh, not nothing like uh, Europe or US or South America, for that matter. I've never been to Asia though, so I can't compare it to Asia. Uh, but yes, I would definitely recommend everyone just visit once, at least once. Just, don't, just see, don't go now. I was going to say, it. just not right now. <laughs> yes, yes, don't, don't go right now. Don't do it now, yes. Yeah, so we'll keep yeah. praying for peace there and yeah. uh, the peace of Jerusalem. So uh, uh, we'll keep praying for that. But yeah. uh, I really appreciate you being on, brother, and sharing your story. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I love uh, talking to you. I hope to see you soon. Yeah, yeah. And, and give give all our buddies a, a, a hug out there, okay? Yeah. You know, we got Mounty and Dos Equis and uh, the Turbinator. Black Hole. Black Hole. Dick Clark. Dick Clark. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. We're growing. We have a bunch of new packs who you probably never met yet. And uh, they're getting active. They're getting involved. They're getting, like, uh, engaged in different aspects of F3. Mm-hmm. So you're going to hear more about Princeton very soon, I'm sure. Love it. Yeah. Nope, Sounds that, that, good. Yep. So keep it going. Yeah. All right, brother. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, guys. You have a good evening. God bless you. Take care, brother. You too. God bless you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week. And you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.